Welcome to Farcast. Now here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome to the Farcast. We're so glad that you've joined us again this week. We have a wonderful forecast for you, and we had a great one last week. You know, Kenny Polcari was right on it. He thought that we had a little bit of disruption there, but he thought that the path of least resistance was still higher. We saw that at the beginning of this week. Kenny still thinks, if you saw him on CNBC today, that blue skies are still ahead of us and the bias for the market is higher. We're going to get Jim Urio coming on in just a minute. Jim Urio is a great friend of mine from CNBC. Uh, he's a... Uh, Uh, managing director at TJM Institutional. He's just one of the smartest guys I know. Uh, We've got Dan Mahaffey coming up for our second segment. Going to explain what's going on in Washington. And there is a lot going on in Washington. Everything from uh, tariffs to uh, we had some primary elections today. We're going to talk about the uh, fall elections coming up and see which way things are going to shake. I also saw in the Atlanta Fed, they're looking for close over 4.5% GDP growth uh, for the second quarter. That number, I think, is like 4.8%. Harry, is it 4.8%? I think it was 4.8%. 4. 4. 4. Yeah, 4.6, 4.8. It was a big number coming from the Atlanta Fed for GDP. I don't believe it. Uh, I think it's entirely <laughs> misguided, but what the hell? You can all hope and dream. And then uh, we have um, Rob Schwartzberg uh, for our third segment tonight. And it's going to be Rob Schwartzberg, really smart guy, and he was director of research uh, for Friedman Billings and Ramsey. He was director of research for Compass Point Financial. Smart guy, Wharton School of Business. Uh, personal, private investor now. And you get to be a private investor because you make so much money out in the uh, great wide world that you don't have to work for anybody else anymore and you can just manage your own money. Sadly, uh, you know, Yurio and I are, are, are still working for a living. We're going to get to him in just a second. So please know, once again, welcome to the Farcast, where we believe that money is hard to make. We believe that old-fashioned research, hard work, discipline, and patience are the keys to successful investing. And finally, first and foremost, emotion is the foe of the long-term investor. If you're feeling ebullient and hopeful and you think that it's as easy to do, stop. If you're feeling fearful that you should just go out and sell everything you own, stop. Uh, if uh, If you're carried away with emotion, you're getting ready to make a bad decision. I promise. I've done it too many times myself. I've watched clients do it for over 30 years. Stop. Uh, get your wits about you and maybe talk to a uh, professional. We're going to talk to a professional right now on the Farcast. My very good friend Jim Urio is a managing director at TJM Institutional Services. Uh, he is on the uh, floor of the uh, of the exchange. He is a graduate of the University of Illinois in a BA, BA in economics. This is a very smart guy. Hey, Jim, welcome back to the Farcast. Thank you for having me again. You are, you are great to come on with us again. So markets have been all over the place. Uh, I listened to Polkari say that he's, he's feeling good about the world. You feeling good about the world? Well, I'm feeling good about the stock market for certain, and I'll tell you why. If you go back to the, the Fed a week ago, where they came out with their statement, right. and implied in that statement was that they were willing, I, don't know, I can't remember exactly how they said it, but the gist of it was is that they were willing to let things heat run at a high level for a little bit and they weren't going to panic and start raising rates higher if they saw the slightest bit of inflation. To me that changed everything for the unemployment numbers then that came off Friday. You know, sometimes we're like good news is bad news, bad news is good news because it always brings the Fed into it. I thought if we see a good number in light of what they just said, 
that's just all good, and it seemed to be. And now when we we breaking moving over twenty seven fifty in the uh, in the June futures, I think that's breaking out of a recent range. I think it's it's green lights from for the next couple of weeks. Do you think it was a big deal that the uh, that the president announced pre announced that he was looking forward to the uh, jobs number? <laughs> I don't know. It's a tough question. Yeah, I, think it, I think it was a minor. That's deal. an easy question. Wait a minute, minute. Yurio. That's an easy question. That, it's a, it might be tough to answer with people actually <laughs> yeah. listening, but it's an easy question. <laughs> yes, I thought it was amusing. I don't think the world stops at its axis. Everything, everyone sees the same Twitter feed. By the way, just knowing that the number's good doesn't mean you can trade that number. I've seen plenty of good numbers knock the market down and bad numbers push the market up. I sometimes I had a partner for years and years who was one of the smartest guys I knew. He always said. Yeah, if we had the numbers ahead of time, we'd probably blow it worse than just react to it afterwards. So do I think it's a huge deal? No, I don't think it's a huge deal. I think he shouldn't do that anymore is what I would say. Well, you know, when I first saw him do it, I I, I stopped and thought, well, would he say it? Would he pre-sell? Would he actually say, you know, give you the idea and then it would be a reverse? But so time one, I I was wondering, you know, I've kind of had my doubts about whether he he would actually give us the right indication or whether he was giving us any indication at all. I got to believe if he ever does it again. You will see stocks go on a tear. Probably bonds go on a tear too. But so we'll we'll, we'll see. That would be my guess as well. Yes. I mean, you know, I mean, you're going to take him seriously this time, right? Yeah. Hey, man. It was funny. I do a thing like guess the number every uh, unemployment number on Twitter. Right. And I didn't even know this was an hour before, and I wasn't aware of the tweet yet. I had just woke up, but all the estimates from the people I normally poll were coming in very high, and finally I had to look into it a little bit. And I was like, oh, okay, sounds good. So, yeah. so uh, things things are looking up, and yet I. Take a look at the uh, you know two-year to ten-year spread, which is what we kind of worry about on a yield inversion or a curve inversion or anything. And we're like forty-two or forty-three basis points. That got your attention or no? Yeah, it does. I don't worry about flattening curves. I do worry about inverting curves. And I think that um, if it actually inverts, then we'll have this conversation again. And I'll, I, I think that it you know it will send off alarm bells to me. I just you know when you look at the rest of the world's sovereign debt and you compare it to ours, I can see why they're certainly buying ours. Um, you know, we, you, you, it's just unbelievable at 3% compared to everybody else's. And they're totally. still pumping money into the system. So I think that's what's keeping the curve flat. I, I hope it begins to steepen soon. But, uh, yeah, it concerns me, but not a lot. You know, I watched this in the 90s and, and, and in the late 80s, actually. I watched the yield curve. And I watched it invert in the early 90s. And what I did back then, because we didn't have computers back then. I mean, you, 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 were, you were still in short pants. But, but <laughs> I, I, used to, I used to clip at the yield curve of the Wall Street Journal every day. And, and you would watch. You could see it. it. It almost looked like a jellyfish as it would go up and down. It flexed up and down. And, and uh, it's doing that now. We've seen, it, we've seen it range in. It's gotten about as tight as it's been right now at 43 basis points. But all of a sudden, it'll get back to 55, 57. I don't think you should worry yet, but it's it's something I'm keeping my eye on. You said you were encouraged by the Fed, though, Jim, um, uh, saying that, you know, maybe they wouldn't overreact. And yet the odds for a third tightening as opposed to just two more tightenings this year, and but actually going to three more tightenings this year, they really spiked um, on, on, on Wall Street. Are you thinking this is a three more tightening year? They're going to add 75 basis points to rates? I, I think it's a two more tightening year, but the, the I think paradox, it's a two more tightening year. Why do you right. think so? I I do, but everybody's starting to say three. Why? I mean, what well, are they missing? I, what I, are, what I, am I missing? I, 
I, I've heard a couple of them say things like in two more tightenings, they're at the low end of some mythical neutral range. And I think that there's fear. Nobody likes to be sitting at the helm of the Fed when they tighten too much and cause some sort of economic reaction. The, the paradox here, which I think is fascinating, is that because they said they wouldn't overreact, risk assets and markets calm down, and then the market starts pricing back in that extra tightening. So like the chain of events is them saying, don't worry, we're not going to be we're not going to put the pedal to the metal as far as tightening goes and because of that statement we price in an extra tightening um, through the chain which i find fascinating to me but it does make some sense if they're saying don't worry if things get out of hand we're going to back off a little bit right you know it's just we, we talk about the yell and put and we talk about the power put and i'm not the first guy to say it that the strike's lower on the power put but it's still there yeah, no, I agree with that. And Jim Bullard, you know, uh, backed off early. But 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 Bullard gets very uh, he gets a lot like Jello. He's you know he's tough to nail down. He, he's very squishy, and then those opinions can change pretty quickly. The one but, thing I remember the most about yeah. Jim Bullard was a couple of years ago in August when we had broke seven or eight percent in, right. in like two days, and before that he had talked about tightening. And then I, I'm almost certain it was him said that the case for tightening has become less compelling. And yeah. that was after about you know two days before that saying we are going at it. And to me, it's like, okay, they get nervous about falling asset prices. There is no question. Well, he gets nervous about falling asset prices. Yeah. There's no question. I've watched Bullard get nervous before. And whenever the market, you know, uh, through that period as we were trying to recover from 2009, when, whenever we really did start to struggle by more than, you know, four, five, six hundred points. He was like Johnny on the spot with a, now wait a minute, maybe we have to be a little more prudent and a little more temperate and maybe there's more we could do. I mean, he was the, he was the Mario Draghi of, of we'll do whatever it takes of, of, of the St. Louis Fed. Anyway, he's there's, a nice there's guy. No doubt. But there's, that, that was a time where we, I mean, there was no other path to survival than having rates so low for so long. Taxation regulation was ridiculously high. That was our response to the financial crisis was to just lock everything down. It was a terrible response, and the only thing the Fed could do was keep rates low. Yeah, and they pumped a lot of money in, and, and they kept up a lot of liquidity. We certainly didn't have a liquidity crisis after that. So tell me, Jim, as we look at the rest of the year, uh, greater risk in being out of the market or in the market? I think greater risk in being out of the market. So you, the path of least resistance, you think, is higher? Yeah, I think now, I think the last couple days, have solidified my opinion, and I think we're heading up toward the highs. Um, once we get there, I might you know, have a different opinion about whether or not we're going to break through, but that's still a few percentage points to go. And so what, would you own the bank stocks? I mean, given what you're hearing about I rates? I would and I do, and I have for a year. I've owned uh, Bank of America, Goldman. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a Goldman, little... what's wrong with Goldman? Why can't you get, you can't get Goldman off the floor here? I know, and, and I think what it is is that, okay, they like higher rates. Say that box is checked. We have higher rates. Yep. They also like somewhat of a steeper yield curve. And I think if that starts to happen, that could be the catalyst to push the banks a little higher. But the reality of it is, too, is that right up until that end of January, the banks had been one of the leaders, of course, with always the yes. ever-present FANG leadership. But the banks had been one of the leaders. They had, come, they had run very far in a very relatively short period of time. So to think that they might have a longer correction period, I think, is perfectly reasonable. If that XL, what is XLF, if it trades above 29, if you're looking at all the banks together, right. I personally think that would be a sign to buy the banks, and I will probably add. 
what scares you right now? What worries you about the balance of the year? What 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 would get you uh, staring at the ceiling at three in the morning? Okay, see, this is you. I'm going to be accused of being political. I'm only political from a macroeconomic standpoint. We're in Washington D.C. Everybody's political. Yeah, You're but fine I, here. I don't want to be. I want to pretend I'm a, I'm in the middle and don't have an opinion. Let's oh, good. How's that, that work for true. you? I like that. It works awesome. <laughs> awesome. The reality of it is this: is that. There, there is no question in my mind. You mentioned the Atlanta Fed's estimate for GDP. Yeah. There is no question in my mind that we have turned a page and pivoted from an economic system that was very, very bad for us as a country to one that's good. I'm worried about the elections, that there's always buyer's remorse, it seems, historically, when one party takes over and we swing back to a party that wants higher taxes and higher regulation. I'm not saying that I disagree with everything the Democrats do. I like to consider myself centrist with very conservative economic leanings, not because for my own benefit, but I think that's what's best for the country. And if we have a wave of, um, of tax hikers coming in, I think that could be a tough, tough one for the market. You think this administration's agenda is good for the economy and good for markets? Well, sure. Overwhelmingly, yes. But that doesn't mean it's perfect on every angle. I, I think some of the things that they've done recently, I, I'm curious about questioning, like trying to you know, have public utilities have to buy coal from right, uh, right. You know, directing things like that. I'm against things like tariffs. I'm against tariffs in principle. But when you look at, you know, we, we're tariffing a country that already tariffs us. If you take that all in a vacuum, there's really, they kind of cancel each other out. So have we even instituted any tariffs, you know is the answer to that. They're still putting higher tariffs on us than us on them. So if we're trying to use that as a tool to gain some sort of fair trade, right, I'm right. perfectly fine with it, I think. Am I? Are you perfectly fine with it? I, I, you know, I'm not perfectly fine with anything. I, I, I find, <laughs> I find uh, ways to criticize m- most everything, including blue skies and sunshine around here, Amen. if you catch me at the right. right minute. But, you know, it's not a perfect system, but, you know, the great secret is, and we can let the listeners of the Farcast in on this, the only two perfect ones out there are Yurio and Far. We got them on. The, we got them on the show tonight. That's it. And we feel sorry for everybody who isn't us. I'm just saying we do. Hey, Jim Urio, you are the best. I mean, everybody learns when you listen. You listen to my friend Jim Urio, guys. Uh, he makes a lot of sense. And we're going to be right back with the second segment of the Farcast. I got Dan Mahaffey coming back, and Jim Urio, you're the best. Bye. Thank you, buddy. Thank you. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of the Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Far Miller and Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Farcast. Now, here's your host, Michael Farr. Welcome back to the Farcast. I am Michael Farr, and I am so grateful that you join us every week here on the Farcast. Having a great show tonight, Jim Urio, absolutely fabulous from the floor of the CBOE in Chicago. Terrific investor, great insights. And did you hear him? He's bullish. Did you hear him? He's buying the banks. Those aren't recommendations to buy or sell. I'm just telling you what a smart guy thinks. We're going to get to my disclaimer at the end of the show, as we always do. Our second segment, of course, next we talk. So every week we talk about Wall Street. Then we talk about what's going on in Washington. And then we talk about something that's going on in the broader world and how that's going to affect investors. I've got a great, uh, I've got the director of research. I've got a real fundamental research guy, Wharton School, coming up in the the, uh, third segment here. 
here of the Farcast, a guy named Rob Schwartzberg, a friend of mine for many, many years, director of research, Friedman Billings Ramsey, uh, director of research, former director of research at uh, Compass Point Financial, very smart guy. Uh, we're going to talk with Rob coming up. Now we're going to go talk to my friend Dan Mahaffey, because there is a lot to talk about uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, we've been doing this show since uh, early last fall, and not one week, not one week have we not had just a huge amount of, of uh, information and topics and tidbits from the administration, from Capitol Hill. Washington just doesn't uh, disappoint. So Dan Mahaffey is, uh, works as, a, as an analyst, uh, corporate secretary. Uh, he's at the um, Center for the Study of the Presidency and Congress. He holds a master's degree in security studies with a concentration in U.S. defense policy from Georgetown University and a B.A. in government from Georgetown University with minors in history and Mandarin Chinese. Georgetown University, real school, folks. Jesuits. Can't, can't, uh, can't ever really doubt those Jebbies. Dan, welcome back to the Farcast. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm great. You're in the great uh, city, so great they named it twice? Yes, I am. Every now and then they, they want us to get out of the Beltway to where the buildings are tall and people count money instead of votes. I like that very much. And what's it like up there? Are they are you seeing a lot of money counters? Well, you know, we're here on Park Avenue, so I'm seeing more money spenders. There are a lot of money spenders on Park Avenue, aren't they? So tell us about right. Washington this week. I mean, uh, uh, I, I, I listened to Mr. Giuliani over the weekend. The president can pardon himself, but he's not going to. Is that what I heard? Well, that's sort of the, uh, you know, if I, I have the power, but I don't need to use it because I don't want to use it or something along those lines. It's a, it's Can a you translate watch. that? I mean, that's like listening to Alan Greenspan talk about the uh, talk about interest rates. Um, what does that mean? I have the well, power, it, but I'm not going to. But I think I might. But I don't need it. Well, it's one that they're still going with the fundamental belief that there was no crime or malfeasance committed by the president, but also pushing forward a concept of executive power so far forward that not even Richard Nixon thought to do so. Uh, if we look back at history at the height of Watergate in 74, he asked his own Justice Department, can the president pardon himself? They came back and said no, and four or five days later, Nixon resigned. Um, this is a, a largely academic question because the pardoning power in the presidency and the Constitution is largely unlimited. It's the closest thing to a monarchical power that the founders uh, put in the Constitution. Yet at the same time, we've never thought that a president would go so far as to say not only can he pardon himself, but as Giuliani also said, that I, uh, as the head of the executive branch, can't obstruct justice because, in a sense, I am the one responsible for the course of justice in this country. I think the expression is le roi et moi, isn't it? Uh, I oui, mean, oui. Oui, oui, yes. I'm sure I apologize to, to all of those who actually speak French out there, le roi et moi. But uh, my mother, I'm sure, is rolling over in her grade. Poor woman taught French at the Stone Ridge School for 22 years. Uh, also had a master's degree from Georgetown University, Mahaffey, so she was smart too. See, uh, now I'm I'm granted I'm granted a generation removed from that kind of of, of intellect, but I, I I you know I ride coattails where I can. So tell us what you saw in Washington this week. I mean, we've seen this. What does that mean to you? Does it mean anything? I mean, does that mean there's a problem, or does it just mean that we should listen to something new, shiny object in the corner? Don't pay attention to the headlines. 
Well, I look at it with this. So we see also the polls coming out this week that President Trump, among Republicans in the Gallup poll, at 500 days in his presidency, holds an 87% approval rating among Republicans. Uh, the only Republican president who was ever higher was George W. Bush at 96% after the attacks of September 11th. Uh, so that's an unprecedented amount of support for a president from within his own party. And what we're seeing is that Trump has made the Republican Party into the Trump Party. Uh, John Boehner said it himself last week, and we've seen it now, not just with this push for executive power and, and very little from Congress on this idea of executive power. You think that as a co-equal branch, uh, they would want to protect their prerogatives, but even down the down the pike on on trade, on this idea of recessions to the budget, i.e., they're going to go back uh, on the previous deal, the you know, perhaps the the art of reneging the deal that they're going to go back on. This I like that the art of reneging the deal. That's that the art of reneging on, but maybe the art of reneging on the deal is actually how they're making the deal. I mean, it sure, certainly seems that you that you start out with an, a hugely extreme uh, uh, point of view and and negotiate back to something that you never re really imagined you'd get in the first place well that but it's the you know i think we're seeing though the price of it on on trade for example where we're going to be looking at what the impact of this is on agriculture where mexico today going after uh, cheese and bourbon uh, well, bourbon comes from uh, Senator, uh, Majority Leader McConnell's state. Uh, Wisconsin, a very important state in the elections. That's, that's cheese imports there. Uh, we're going down this line of where these deals are being disrupted and what is going to be the cost for the economy. Uh, they want to be trumpeting tax cuts going into the election, not tariffs. Uh, but what else are we going to see in terms of this, this debate and dialogue uh, in a town where one party is so behind the president, despite all the controversy. And the Republican Party, though, is still supporting him, right? I mean, Capitol Hill Republicans still support him. I mean, they might seem to whisper to us privately, but, but, but they seem to be supporting the Trump agenda, yes? In a sense, yeah. And it's a way that, uh, one, they look at the numbers in their own primaries. They see the report within the, the uh, rapport with Trump and, the, and his base. Uh, and we have this uh, phenomenon where the GOP Congress, uh, to a certain extent, is accepting the tumult, uh, uh, riding the whirlwind, if you will, uh, to make progress on the tax code, on judges, on a few other things. But we've gone through those, uh, checked those boxes, and now we're getting to the aspects of the Trump agenda that are really challenging Republican orthodoxy, uh, even though the rank and file of the party uh, and the grassroots are, are well behind the president, uh, along with the entire conservative media apparatus. Harken uh -oh. back with me in the Wayback Machine, uh, uh, Dan and dear listeners. Two years ago, two years ago, we were getting ready to have a presidential election. And uh, everyone I talked to on CNBC and on the radio and everywhere else, uh, when I was going out and speaking in public and talking to the the, so many investors and bright, intelligent people, I, they assured me to the last one that Hillary Clinton would be our next president, Donald Trump, no chance. Uh, and, and, and there were various levels of volume uh, about how strongly people felt about that. But, but that seemed like it would happen. And here we are two years later, 
um, uh, passed very quickly, uh, two years later. And there is a suggestion that the Republicans can't hold the House, uh, that, that everything's going to switch. Uh, but I'm hearing that starting to soften. What do you think we're looking at as we come into fall elections, Dan? I think it's going to be very challenging on the House side. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what the result of the primaries in California and whether the top two model there has actually created an issue for Democrats uh, in terms of this jungle primary. No, wait, wait, wait. Uh, tell us, what, because for those who don't follow politics that closely, correct. tell us what the top two model is. So in California, regardless of party, the top two vote-getters in these primaries will advance to the general election. So you could very well, if Democrats split the vote, have two Democrats and two Republicans or two Republicans at the top of the ballot in a district. It could be a single-party elections competition uh, come uh, November. Uh, and so what you've had are some districts where Democrats could be competitive, but they've ran, so many people have come forward to run, and people with their own wealth to, to fund their own campaigns in many instances uh, have come forward to run and have crowded the Democratic field uh, in a way that a, a Republican could, uh, could get through. Uh, it reminds me of the, the Will Rogers quote, I do not belong to an organized party. I am a Democrat. Exactly. I, 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 I think Republicans could say the same thing, right? Anybody belongs to any We're party. We're to vote right now, yes. Uh, you know, uh, nobody's in really much of an organized party. Okay, we're, we're, th this is fabulous. I'm learning so much. So uh, tell me, uh, M Mueller, um, he, he brought some charges or is suggesting he's going to bring some charges, huh? Well, there's a suggestion. I think they're, they're adding to the, the rap sheet with, uh, with Manafort yes. on, on witness tampering, which I think is also interesting from, a, uh, from the scope of their investigation that uh, based on his communications, and it's rumored to be with, uh, with Russian intelligence, so Boris might be listening in there on this, that there are uh, a combination of communications through his Apple iCloud account ah. uh, that they were able to get into and see records of him trying to uh, align the stories of witnesses coming into this uh, case. So uh, we're following that with some uh, good old-fashioned witness tampering on top of a range of other charges. Does that happen ever in uh, Russia, Boris? No, from my understanding, he was just trying to get tickets to concert. That was all it was. <laughs> he, yeah. he was doing that on the Apple iCloud, Manafort was? That was my understanding of it. And, and, and who explained that to you? Or Vlad Putin. Vlad himself, yes, I thought perhaps. It was my morning briefing. It was, it was, in, the, it was in the book. <laughs> all right. Uh, I don't know, even know why we do that, Mahaffey. I swear, uh, it was we were making such good progress. Does a ha does a meeting happen with Kim Jong Un? I think it's on for now. You know, it's it's one of those ones where there's. You should be a politician. <laughs> it was a yes or no question. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, Ooh. The, yes. The momentum is moving forward, and look, I, and I you fell for that too. I will gladly eat the crow sandwich uh, in a week if, if we're not. But uh, the momentum is such on both sides, I think, for the, uh, the Koreans to want to get the legitimacy of the summit on their side, uh, as well as how much of uh, Trump's foreign policy capital, the president's foreign policy capital, has been put forward to make the summit happen. Uh, both sides have, have gotten past the, the kerfuffle uh, with the letters and the insults to the vice president. 
um, and are trying to move on. And I think even if you're reading the tea leaves of what's going on in Singapore with their preparations, uh, that they're just trying to figure out the final, uh, the, the final details on location, uh, who pays for what, things like that. Last 30 seconds, what has you most worried about what's going on on Capitol Hill here as we enter into the summer months? I think what we have now is we just saw today that uh, McConnell has ended the August recess yep. uh, and that we're going to have uh, a period of real uncertainty with spending uh, cuts, potentially, even though they have just agreed on a budget earlier in the year, uh, what Congress decides to do on tariffs. Uh, and if we have a, a situation where we, we raise the specter of a government shutdown uh, in the fall that we really didn't need to have to begin with. You kill me. I love that because uh, the, the, to cut to short of that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, is when I say what really worries Mahaffey most, he says, well, it's actually the government's going to be in session longer. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, and, and I think that's a completely reasonable answer. Dan Mahaffey, you're absolutely the best. Our political analyst here on the forecast coming to us from New York. You're wonderful to make the time, and we always learn so much. Ladies and gentlemen, Please stay with us on the Farcast. We will be right back. You're listening to Farcast. This portion of the Farcast is brought to you by Far Miller and Washington Investment Council. Investment Council means we work for you. Our advice is tailored to you and to your needs and to reach your investment goals. At Far Miller and Washington, we believe money is hard to make, and we're going to work hard to keep it working for you. You're listening to Forecast. Welcome back to the Forecast. I am Michael Farr. We are recording in Washington, D.C. We thank you so much for joining us each week and taking us along in your earbuds, in your cars, in your homes, in your offices. Uh, we hope that you're learning. We appreciate the emails. We appreciate the texts. Uh, all of the messages from you are terrific from our listeners really all over the world. It's really fun to find out that we have listeners all over the world. It's terrific. And please uh, share. Tell, uh, tell your friends, tell your friends, and send them an email. Send them a link to the Farcast. We appreciate it very much. We're looking for listeners here. What a terrific show tonight. Jim Urio from the CBOE uh, telling us exactly uh, what he thinks the risks are and that the bias is still to the upside for stocks, and he's not really uh, all that concerned now about the Federal Reserve overstepping. That was a big concern of Urio's, and he told us why. And terrific segment. Dan Mahaffey, always absolutely excellent from the center of the study uh, for, of the presidency and Congress. That was a terrific segment. Dan is so smart, so insightful, uh, and really gives us a, a, the real um, uh, lay of the land in Washington, D.C. Absolutely terrific. Very smart. Georgetown University grad. Terrific. Been published in Politico and all that stuff. Now, one of my great friends. What a treat this is. Uh, segment three. We're going to talk to my friend Rob Schwartzberg. Rob was the uh, former uh, head of research at... Um, uh, he was former head of research at Compass Point Financial, at Friedman Billings and Ramsey. Uh, he um, is a very, very smart, good professional investor. Uh, went to Georgetown University as well, uh, majored in finance. Cum laude, ladies and gentlemen, very smart. Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, got his MBA. And if you want to understand really how smart this guy is, he used to work like nine to five like the rest of us schmoes. And he did it well enough that now he can just be a private investor. Uh, we all want to be private investors. Hey, Rob Schwartzberg, welcome to the Farcast. Hi, Michael. It's a pleasure to be with you. 
Uh, listen, it's awesome having you here. Now, Rob, do we, we talked about markets a, a little earlier, and you heard that Urio thinks that the bias is still to the upside. Where do you think we are? Do you think stocks are expensive? What do you think investors should be doing? You're great to join us. Um, hi, Michael. Um, I agree with Jim. I think uh, I also believe the bias is to the upside, and I think that the uh, costs of being out of the market uh, – far um, outweigh the benefits of being in the market, even if we happen to encounter a, uh, a brief sideways period. I think that the, the factors holding us back uh, are temporary in nature and that the uh, uh, factors driving us uh, onward and upward are, are much uh, longer term and more secular in nature. So, um, so longer term currents, the tide is rising, you think, uh, uh, and, and, but you think we've got some shorter term uh, hurdles. What do you think are some of those shorter term hurdles? What do we have to get over? What's holding uh, us I back? I, um, you, you can watch it on a day-to-day -day basis uh, when there's a positive resolution on the trade front, say, with um, NAFTA and our partners in Mexico or in Canada. Uh, when you see some, uh, uh, let's call it, thawing of the ice there, uh, you see the market move higher. When you see a potential, um, um, let's call it, hostile language between ourselves and, and China, uh, you see the market held back. So I think we need some sort of uh, firm agreement uh, that gives people the confidence uh, that it's okay to get back into the market. I, I do think, uh, I don't want to minimize um, uh, any of our trade issues, uh, and, uh, but, I, but I do Okay, so did you, do you think we needed to redo trade? Did we need trade reforms? Uh, I think it depends country by country, and I think that... Uh, China. China. Uh, um, uh, China, uh, it's, it's clear that uh, we're not on a completely level playing field, particularly when it comes to intellectual property. And so um, I think that there are uh, uh, needed reforms there, but I don't know if um, our current approach is the most constructive way of achieving those reforms. Well, we've never um, seen anything like this before, really. Uh, no, we haven't. And uh, perhaps the carrot and stick approach is the way to go. Um, um, we're, we're seeing a little more stick right now, and I think that's what's holding us back. But um, well, OK, I, so without respect to approach, what do you think about the overall agenda in terms of taxes and trade uh, as forwarded by this administration? Supportive of stocks, supportive of the economy? I mean, uh, in, in general, do they have the right agenda items? Um, uh, emphasis on in general. Uh, to me, uh, forgetting, putting politics to the side or my own personal politics, um, I think it's very clear that this is a growth-oriented administration. Uh, the president refers to the uh, stock market very consistently. He wants to see the American economy thrive. He wants to see uh, the market go up and uh, to have all Americans participate in that market appreciation. So that is why um, I believe that um, uh, some of his comments are more uh, part of a negotiation rather than um, 
and will ultimately be constructive. So I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that that is the case. All right. Well, we un- I, what I just heard you say was you're going to hold off on awarding style points, but basically you like the general direction of some of the agenda items uh, and that they're constructive for business, right, is, is what you said, and constructive for the economy. Tell me, I, are you worried about interest rates? I mean, here we are at 2.9%. The Fed has uh, got a meeting coming up where everybody seems to think they will raise rates again. Wall Street actually is betting uh, there are there's a line in Vegas, of course, is whether we're going to have two or three more rate hikes this year. So one this coming in like next week, we'll, we'll be having another Fed meeting. What is it? The 13th or something like that, I think. 12th right. and 13th is a Fed meeting and we think they're going to raise rates. Does this worry you? What do you think? You know, it, I. <laughs> Everything worries me, and, and I love that about said, you. By the way, that everything yeah. worries you because everything worries me. Um, I, I will say that we, you know, we, we've had a forty-year downtrend in interest rates, and now we're we're bo- you know we're we're bouncing along the bottom of an extraordinarily um, uh, deep um, uh, V. <laughs> and so, if we if we go up one or two or three hikes. Uh, coming off of a 40-year down cycle, I'm not that concerned. Uh, that's my first response. My second response is there are sectors of the economy um, that have been held back, such as the banks uh, having to deal with the flatter yield curve, insurance companies, and also there are segments of our economy, such as older um, uh, individual savers who've had a difficult time in this low interest rate environment. So I see them benefiting. So to answer your question, I'm 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 broadly concerned, but it's really not my biggest concern because I think that rates are, are going up for uh, the right reasons, which is um, an acceleration in growth in the economy. I thought the repatriation of um, uh, overseas capital is a positive. I think a cut in the individual rate is a positive. I don't think we've seen the full impact of that. Um, I think um, uh, what's interesting to me is you're still seeing oil prices appreciate, even though the dollar is also appreciating. So we're getting some jobs back in uh, the energy sector. So I feel jobs are uh, coming back in the energy sector because of the price of oil now makes it it makes it worth it to uh, to explore more more right drill more uh, explore drill refine uh, oil that was uneconomic at forty dollars a barrel is economic at sixty five dollars a barrel. So, um, uh, you know, I think back to three years ago, oil was at 20, and um, I think there were some concerns the whole system was going to fall apart again because the European banks had made loans to the Middle East, and that was going to wash through again. We are very, very far away from that, um, and um, I, um, I'm, I'm encouraged. I, I see uh, the United States as uh, the growth engine of the world right now, if we can just get our... Um, uh, some of the trade rhetoric tamped down a little bit. Does do you th- do you think that I mean clearly moving uh, the uh, U.S. embassy to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv and pulling out of the uh, Iran n- nuclear deal uh, that has seemed to destabilize things enough in the Middle East that oil really has gone up, right? I mean that's that's causing a lot of that uh, higher price in oil. Yeah. Well. I uh, let's no? go back. I no the I, I think the higher price in oil is a function of uh, rising global demand, particularly out of China, coupled with um, actual discipline between the Saudis and the Russians to hold back, um, uh, cut back on production. Now we're starting to see. Uh, so, so, so that if you go back about eight or ten months, I think that's what caused the uh, uh, the, the increase in price. 
Um, we are starting to see, and I, I think there's some rumblings of perhaps uh, the Saudis and the uh, Russians agreeing to a one million uh, per day increase, and that's why you've seen a little bit of softness the last, let's call it four to seven weeks. So, but still, compared to where we were two to three years ago, we're vastly higher, and the uh, um, United States continues to increase output, which I think is, is very positive for employment and particularly in energy-producing states. This is great stuff. I'm learning a lot here. I'm so glad that you're on with us tonight. So now, as a former director of research for Friedman, Billings, and Ramsey, uh, uh, would you tell us, for investors who, are, who have cash at this point, and we think that the risk, as you said earlier, was – uh, to not being invested. If we want to get invested here, what are some areas, maybe sectors? Give us a little bit of guidance as the uh, – I've already told everybody you're really smart as hell, so uh, <laughs> don't, don't, don't let me down here, Rob, okay? I mean, you give us a sense of where we, uh, where we should – where you would be putting money today if you had a pile of cash. Uh, well, I, as we discussed, and you mentioned um, rising interest rates, um, I expect um, – uh, the yield curve, which is the difference between longer-term interest rates and shorter-term interest rates, um, which has flattened a little bit for temporary reasons. I expect that to continue um, its upward steepening bias, right, right. and that's a major positive for financials. So if I was looking to put new money to work, um, I would be uh, looking at how to benefit from that trend of a yield curve, which I do believe is um, – starting to to will eventually revert back to the mean of a tightening bias with a with a positive curve and so that's financial you'd buy the banks you'd buy the insurance companies right exactly and and, um, and, and so and i talked to i was we, we were talking earlier and you said that you found goldman sachs a little bit frustrating we're almost out of time but i want to give you i want to give you a chance to tell us why you find goldman sachs frustrating uh, Goldman Sachs had a blowout earnings report. There were um, uh, they're on a run rate to earn, um, you know, over uh, $24 a share, which puts them below 10 times earnings, which is one of my key indicators. Anytime I see a stock um, that I think can reliably earn um, uh, something above a you know 10 times multiple or selling at a 10 times multiple, but I think those earnings have the uh, potential to increase. That gets my attention. Goldman's about 15% off its high after posting that result, after also uh, cleaning up uh, some of the issues in their uh, uh, trading unit. And um, I think the fears there are overblown, and uh, I'd be looking to put new money to work at Goldman at about 225 a share. Um, I also like uh, KKR Financial, pays a 3% dividend. It's converting to, uh, uh, from an LLC to a C-Corp, which I think will uh, broaden its uh, uh, base of potential investors and I think lead to a higher valuation. And um, in financials, I also really like Hartford Investment Group, HIG, also selling it right around 10 times earnings, paying just under a 2% dividend. They just closed on the sale of their uh, legacy Talcott annuity business, which was a little bit of a drag on the stock. And um, it's also rumored uh, takeover candidate, um, uh, possibly in the mid-60s. So those awesome. are the three that I would be uh, focused on. Awesome. What great insights. You are so great to join us on the Farcast, Rob. I can't thank you enough. This is really terrific. I hope you'll come back and join us again. And we thank you so much uh, for, being, for being with us tonight. Thank you so much, Michael. Always a pleasure.
That's it, out of time. Here we are at the end of another great forecast. We thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, too, to our great guests, Jim Murio, Dan Mahaffey, and Rob Schwartzberg. Uh, all of them very, very bright guys. All I have to do is ask questions, and they make me sound smart. I'm so grateful for that. Remember that on the forecast, we do not make recommendations to buy or sell securities. If one of our guests likes a stock, that's uh, his or her opinion, not the forecast. We are not recommending any securities to be bought or sold here. Uh, please check with your financial advisor or a financial professional before making any sorts of decisions or reallocations of your capital or investment accounts. If we can help you at Farr, Miller, and Washington, please give us a call. Send us an email, farmiller.com, farmiller.com. We'll be there for you. We love your emails every week. We thank you for the texts. Please stay with us Please uh, each week, and please share on social media. Thanks again for listening. It's a great privilege to be with you in Washington, D.C. For the Farcast, I'm Michael Farr.